one, we are going to pray and jump in. Uh, those of you that are online now or in the future, we're glad you are joining us. Uh, uh, they didn't let us know that we were ready to go live, so me and Ted was having our own Bible study. So <laughs> let's pray and we'll jump in. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for who you are and what you are in our life. We glorify you in the beauty of who you are. We thank you for the goodness that you have poured out on us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for a covenant that is forever enduring. And we thank you, Father, that we have been brought into that. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to just recap real quick about uh, what Pastor Ted taught last week. He taught about, and, and the title was uh, An Unbreakable Covenant. Um, and so in that, he, he, he uh, mentioned a few things, and a few of them were um, that the covenant through Christ is to return us to uh, the original covenant that God had with Adam. Um, the first Adam was a speaking spirit. Uh, the first Adam was the speaking spirit of God in an earthen vessel. The second Adam, Jesus, was the speaking spirit of God in an earthen vessel. So God actually became what we needed to be because man had to pay that price. That covenant had to be done through man. Um, he, he said that God remained God in the Father to represent himself while at the same time, God became son to represent humanity. So uh, there you see the, the duality of the single person covenant. Um, which, to understand that better, go to Hebrews chapter 6. And I think we have quoted this verse so many times uh, through this uh, series in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, and uh, if, you, if you do use the version app, I believe it is on there with all the notes, okay? Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, he says, for when God made a promise to Abraham because he could vow by no one greater, he vowed by himself. In other words, there was no other greater name by which he could swear by, no other greater name by which he could make this vow. And so he actually vowed to by himself in verse 14 saying, Surely I will bless you, and surely I will multiply you. Now I want to go back and look at part of this covenant. Uh, I, I encouraged you a week or so back, maybe two weeks ago, to watch the movie, uh, thank you, His Only Son. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime if you haven't seen it. Uh, and actually we were talking about at some point we may just do a uh, movie night here. Uh, it's really good, D's going, we should. Um, but in one point of the movie, uh, this won't ruin a whole lot for you, Abraham comes in in the middle of the night and he's covered in blood. And... He, he And Sarah's trying to figure out where all the blood come from on him. And he was like, don't worry about that. God made for himself a covenant. And, and we don't understand what that means if you don't understand Hebrews chapter 6. God made for himself a covenant. Go to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. <clears throat> 
Look in verse 2. Genesis 17, verse 2. Look what God says here, and this is important. And God said, he said, I will make my covenant between you and me and will exceedingly multiply you. This is the covenant that he made that night. He said, and I will make my covenant between me and you and, and will exceedingly multiply you. Verse 3, and Abram fell on his face and God said to him, as for me, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of many nations. Now, I want tonight we're going to title this God's covenant because we need to understand that we're dealing with a covenant of God making a covenant with himself. See, if you look in, uh, I can't remember if it's chapter 17 or chapter 15, I think it's chapter 15, uh, God's talking to Abraham, Abram then, and he said, we're gonna, I'm going to make a covenant. He said, well, how do I know all this stuff you're telling me is going to be true? And he began to talk to Abram in a language that he understood. But it was a prophetic shadow of Jesus. And what he did is he said, I want to talk to you in a way that you understand. See, almost every country, every civilization has had a blood covenant of some kind. So this blood covenant wasn't new. Abraham understood what was happening. And so God tells Abraham, uh, is this in verse, chapter 17, I think it's 15. It's 15. So God tells Abraham, he said, go get me a three-year-old heifer. A three-year-old goat, go get me turtle doves, pigeons. He, he goes and he gathers all this stuff, and he cuts them in half. We know we went through all these steps. These are the exact steps that God went through even with Abram. And the word says that when the, the buzzards would come in or the birds of prey would come in to try to pick at the, the sacrifice, Abram would run over and chase them away. And what the next verse says is that a deep sleep then fell upon Abram. It was something, see, it was important to understand that what God was doing is he put Abram to sleep. He took man out of the equation again because it's his covenant. And in future reference, we see Jesus coming so that God can take man out of the equation again. Because man left to himself to do it would mess it up. And when he goes in chapter 15, it said there was a fire in a pot that came down. And it did the whole, the, the figure eight, the infinity sign in between the offering. Why? Because it was God's covenant. It wasn't Abraham's covenant. We call it the Abrahamic covenant because he said, I am making my covenant between me and you. But I'm not going to let you have anything to do with it. This is my covenant between me and you, but you have nothing to do. I'm going to do all the work within myself because I can swear by none greater. I can't swear on Abram's name. What's that? So when he could swear by none greater, he swore by himself. So he, he did the same thing with Jesus. He said, I am going to wrap myself in humanity and I am going to represent man in front of myself. Because man left to this is going to mess it up. Uh, 
And so we, we see that this is, this is all. in chapter 17 of Genesis, nine times he says, my covenant. There's a significance in that. This is God's covenant. It's what he decided. It's, and what he decided was going to go. And, and, and so what, he, what does that mean? It's God's covenant. It means he initiated it. It means he started this. <laughs> he initiated it. He set the terms. He brings the goods. <laughs> and it was all his idea. And as a shadow of our salvation, it's the same thing. It's still God's covenant. When he could swear by none greater, when the offering of the sacrificial lamb of God was made, there was no other name he could swear by to make sure that this covenant would last forever. So he swore by himself by becoming that sacrifice anyhow. He swore by himself by becoming that sacrifice. So it, it was he who initiated the covenant. Go to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God initiated this. Your salvation was initiated by God, not by you. Oh, he loves you so much, he started the process and took us out of the picture by becoming man himself. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, he says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Mankind had nothing to do with this. Isn't it funny how we still think mankind has something to do with their salvation? Yeah. <laughs> We were talking about it this morning in, 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 in uh, our corporate prayer time. Man, God initiates this thing. Just like he initiated it with Abram and he said, my covenant, I'm establishing my covenant. When Jesus came and the, 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 the redemption of the cross happened, it was God again saying, I am fulfilling my covenant. Not yours, I'm going to bring you into it, but this isn't your covenant I hope you understand what I'm saying. Salvation isn't your covenant. It's his. You just get to enjoy it. It's a covenant he made with himself. When Jesus took on humanity as humanity and stood before God as God, he was making a covenant with himself. Um, so... Christ died for us when we were yet sinners. How much more, verse 9, how much more then being now justified by blood? So when are we justified by blood? Now. Being now justified by blood. But I didn't do anything to become justified. Exactly. Abraham didn't do anything to become, Abram didn't do anything to become Abraham. He went to sleep. Isn't it funny how we've made salvation so hard? 
Work it out, work it out, work it out. Do this, do that. Check all the right boxes. Make sure your hair is this length. Make sure you don't have tattoos. Make sure you don't pierce your ear. Make sure, uh, come on. I think it's time God puts us to sleep again. And says, get out of this before you mess it up. I've already established this covenant. This is already done. I don't need your help. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for the sinners of the world that day. He died for the sinners of the world in every day. For eternity future, until he comes back, and eternity past, this covenant is settled. And he doesn't need our help to do it. Verse 10. For if while we were enemies... So that tells us our standing. You realize that Abram did not serve Jehovah. He served other gods. (laughs) Just like us, we didn't serve him, but yet because of his massive grace and mercy, he still died for us. Abram did not serve Jehovah. He didn't serve Yahweh. He served other gods. He worshiped other gods, and all of a sudden, there came a voice telling him, I want you to leave your land and go to a land that I am going to show you. And he had to go and tell everybody else that the gods of his fathers were no longer good enough. And he called us out. For while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God. When were we reconciled to God? While we were still enemies. We were never his enemy. He was ours. (laughs) He still is not looking for enemies. But they still want to vilify him. We were reconciled to God. How? By the death of his son. How much more, being reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Our covenant of grace was established in the heart and in the mind of God. And actually Ephesians tells us from before the world even began, God already had this in mind. Before he set the earth on its axis... Hurtling through space, he already had it in mind. The word says that the lamb was, Jesus was the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth. Well, then why did he still let Adam blow it? Well, because we have to make a choice. Wasn't his idea. <laughs> Our covenant of grace was established in the mind of God, in the heart of God. He set the terms. He brought the goods, and he did it before we ever asked him for it. While we were yet sinners, while we were enemies, he said, I'm going to take you out of the equation, and I'm going to establish a new covenant, a covenant of grace that is for all mankind, whether they are enemies enemies towards me or whether they're sinners or whether they're even tried to follow 
He said, I am making my covenant. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. So how did sin come into the world? Through one human being. Through one person wrapped in a skin suit because they ate a fruit that they were not supposed to take part of. And God wrapped them in clothing. He wrapped them in skin. (laughs) He said, therefore sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all have sinned. Verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not counted where there is no law. So they were just going through doing things. And then the law was introduced to say, hey, look, the things that you're doing aren't right. And they would point us toward redemption. And so the law established the acknowledgement of our sin, but it also showed us the inability of ourselves to alleviate this sin. So what did happen here was Adam and Eve did their thing and it was out of God's grace and compassion that they were put out of the garden. It wasn't punishment. (laughs) Well, God punished them and put them out of the garden. Listen, kid teachers, I got a few in here. Don't teach that. It wasn't punishment. It was pure, utter love because he knew that if they ate the other tree, that they would be stuck where they messed up for all eternity. So it wasn't out of punishment. It was protection. He wasn't willing that they stay there. That scripture, that, those words are going to come back in a little bit. He was not willing that they stay there. And so death came through sin, uh, and all men had it. It, uh, And then the law came to not only establish the acknowledgement of our sin, but it came to show us our inability to alleviate it ourselves. Verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who have not sinned. Just to go show you, you can go and not sin. They did it back then too. Even those who had not sinned in the likeness of Adam's sin, who was a type of him who was to come. So what was Adam a type of? We're just kind of rounding everything we've taught over the last six, seven weeks up tonight. So what was Adam a type of? That's a capital H. He was a type of Jesus who was to come. See, God had already known. That's why Jesus was the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth. This had already played out in God's heart. This had already played out. God already had 
redemption settled before the earth was ever created. And he created Adam to be a shadow of him who was to come and restore back what Adam originally was. <laughs> he said there, he said, in the likeness of Adam who was a type of him who was to come. Verse 15, but the free gift. So what will salvation cost you? That's not what we've told everybody. It's not what we've told everybody. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if though the trespass of one man, many died, then how much more has the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. Amen. Well, how many? As many that want it. It's already there. It's already there. <laughs> so if sin brought it all to one man, so then the, the one man had to bring it all back. Verse 16. The gift is not like the result that came through the one who sinned. For the judgment from one sin led to condem condemnation. But the free gift, which came after many trespasses, leads to justification. This is God's covenant. This is God's covenant with himself, and I'm going to show you here in just a few minutes how he brought us in. This is God's covenant. One man messed it up, so let's take man out of the equation. He showed us he did this with Abram in, in Genesis 15. Put him to sleep. Let me finish out this covenant. This is my covenant. This isn't yours. I'm just bringing you in. And that day, when they decided to crucify Jesus, it was God fulfilling his covenant again, taking man out of the picture by letting only man, only man who could do it for man into the picture, which was himself wrapped in man's skin, standing before himself, going to the cross. And we have this weird idea because we don't get a whole translation of a scripture that for some reason God couldn't look at Jesus because he was so full of sin that he turned his back on him on the cross. Poor translation. We're going to read a scripture that shows you right where God was when Jesus was on the cross. Because, see, see, if we go with that thinking, then somehow Jesus quit being God. He didn't quit being God. And God never left him. What he was doing was quoting, quoting Psalms, what is it, 22? It's Psalms 22, which was one of the most popular Psalms of their day, in which it says those very words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then if you read on down to the bottom of it, he says, but you have not left me. We just don't have the full story. So we've got this idea that somehow God was so turned off by Jesus carrying sin. I won't prove that's not true either. The gift is not like the result. 
Judgment came from one sin, but the free gift which comes after many sins leads to justification. Verse 17, if by one man's trespass death reigned through him, then how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through one Jesus Christ? God's covenant with himself still says, I'm bringing you in and you can reign in life because of what one man did. It took you out of the picture. One man, God himself, made a covenant with himself and says, you get to come along for the ride. And because I am doing this without your help and I'm bringing you in, you get to reign in life. Only because of through the one Jesus Christ. Verse 18. Therefore, just as through one man's trespass came condemnation for all men, so through the righteous act of one, Jesus, came justification of life. Somebody read that real loud. No, that wasn't loud enough. Wait, let me, hold on, let me, let's, let's do this the right way. Therefore, just as the trespasses, the sin of one man, came condemnation for all men. One man caused all men condemnation. So through the righteous act of one, Jesus, came justification of life. So if one man brought condemnation to all men, so one man brought justification to all men. You realize they're already justified. Oh, that. Sandy and I was talking about some uh, words that are controversial. That's a controversial statement. They are justified. One man justified all men. All they have to do is walk in it. All they have to do is receive it. Does everybody receive it? No. But that doesn't mean it's not theirs. That doesn't mean it didn't happen for them. <laughs> That's what it says. Somebody in here, I know I'm reading the modern English version. Somebody in here got a King James version? What does yours say? Verse 18, what's yours say? Go ahead. So the King James has the same exact words. So in case you're thinking I'm reading a newfangled version, it's going to make it say what I want it to say. That's why I use this one. It's so close. All men. Imagine how we would treat people. Imagine what evangelism would look like if we ministered from this side of the covenant. But we want to minister from the other side of the cross. We're all sin. And before the covenant of redemption, before the covenant of justification, so we want to preach from here. We've got to back over here where God established his covenant again. 
And he said, this is my covenant. I'm taking you out of the picture. I'm coming down, wrapping myself in humanity and making a covenant with myself again. And just as one man brought condemnation to all men, so one man will bring justification to all men. Preaching from this side is a whole lot different. It's a whole lot better news than preaching from the other side. Okay, I'm, you're getting stuff I didn't plan on teaching tonight. So, Verse 19. For just as through one man's disobedience, the one were made sinners. The, I'm sorry, let's read that again. For just as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one, the many will be made righteous. Your righteousness doesn't even depend on you. You can't make yourself righteous enough. That's why he took man out of the equation. Just like he took Abram out of the equation in Genesis 15. Put him to sleep. Take him out because he'll mess this up. So just by the offenses of one man, the sin of one man, affected the many, so the obedience of one, of the one, <laughs> made many righteous. Verse 20, but the law entered so that sin might increase. But the law entered so that sin might increase. Get this, we live in such a wicked world, this world is full of sin. Okay. Tell me bad news. Well, that's bad news, is it? You've never read this verse then. Jody, they've never read it. Look what it says. The law entered so that sin might increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded much more. So if there's all kinds of sin, then guess what? There's all kinds of grace. And if sin is piled to the ceiling, so grace is piled to the sky. And it doesn't matter how much sin has come in, grace comes in heavier. Grace comes in stronger. There is more grace than there is sin because of one man. I don't know if I'll get out of this chapter. <laughs> Grace abounded much more. Stop right there. There's a term that goes around. This is going to get me in trouble. This, what I'm getting ready to say is going to get, me, get us in trouble. But we're going to do it anyhow. Where sin increased, grace much more abounded. Grace did abound. Where sin, those words, there's a term that goes around and everybody treats it like it's a bad word. And they warn you of these words. And they warn you of these kind of churches. And they've written books about it. And they call it hyper grace. 
But what they don't understand, where grace does more abound, how does King James say it? Somebody read that to me. Go ahead, Galen. Grace did much more abound. Modern English version said, grace abounded much more. That's a big difference, huh? Uh, those words there, much more abound, is actually a combination of a couple words. The first word is hooper. It means over. It means beyond. It means more than. It is implying excess. That's what it means. It means it, to, it implies that there is an excess above a certain measure or what is standard. It is the very basis of the word hyper. It is where the word hyper comes from. <laughs> there is an abundance of grace. Oh, but there's so much sin. Tell me the bad news. Okay, there's a lot of sin in the world, but there's more grace. There's a hooper. There's a hyper amount. Ah, there's more grace than you could ever imagine. Think of the worst sins that you could ever come up with. There is grace that is so far. It is a limit. It is excessive. It is pouring over. It is, it, you, there's a standard of grace and then there's God's standard of grace that is beyond. The second word, listen, hyper grace doesn't even cover the amount. The second word in that is the word parisio, which means to be in excess. To cause to superabound, to exceed a fixed number or a measure. So where sin did abound, grace exceeds. It's 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 just blech, it's just it's ridiculous how much it runs over. And this is God's covenant with you. He brought you in. He never asked you to do anything to get it. While you were still yet a sinner and an enemy, he died. He sent his son and poured out an abundance of, so that no matter how much you sin, there is more grace. This is God's covenant. He knew you wouldn't come up. Heck, we don't give people this kind of grace. We don't give this to people. That's why we couldn't give it to humanity. It's actually the word hooper. That'll get you in trouble. Because people have taken a term that they don't understand that is scriptural. Moving on before I get myself in deeper trouble. John, we're not done yet though. John chapter 15 verse 16. Everybody cool? Haven't made you too uncomfortable yet? John 15, 16, look what God says here. You did not choose me. You did not choose me, but I chose you. 
And I, I remember there's another scripture that says, with God, there's no respecter of persons. With God, there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. That means he's not going to pour this out on Jody and not pour it out on D. He said, you didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain, that the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. That's his covenant that he made on a cross before the foundation of the world. That he put Adam on the planet as a shadow of who was really to come. <laughs> he was a type of who was really to come and establish this covenant again. See, we'll, we'll, we'll take those words. We'll say we're supposed to be producing fruit. Yeah. But it also says that he didn't choose me. I didn't choose him, I'm sorry. He chose me. <laughs> so it's his covenant. He established what he wanted it to be. And it is a covenant of relationship, and it is not a covenant of rules. If it was a covenant of rules, it'd still be called law. Remember, what did it all do? Law came to show us sin. It came as an acknowledgement of our sin, but it also showed that we couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. Ephesians chapter 2. So if it wasn't good enough for us to do. Uh, uh, Pastor Ted, you okay if I tell what you told me today? That you heard a, a minister preach? We were talking about this today. And uh, he said that he was in a meeting. And this is what the, 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 the minister said. That salvation will only get you in the door. From there on, everything's your responsibility. The weight is on your shoulders. Then what in the world did we need Jesus for? What did we need Jesus for? If I could save myself, if, I, if he didn't need me for me to get it, he don't need me for me to keep it. I got permission from my wife. Say it again. She said, say it again. If he didn't need me for me to get it, he doesn't need me for me to keep it. This is his covenant. Now, we're going to look. We're going to look. We're going to bring some balance to this thing before you think I'm over, over on one side here. There's balance in the word. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Ephesians 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision in the human flesh by hand. In other words, the people of the Jewish people who actually went through circumcision, were looking at the believers who didn't go through circumcision as though they were less than citizens. They might, have been, they might have received Jesus, but they weren't good as they were. 
because they didn't do the act. We're at a time apart from Christ, alienated from the citizenship of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise. Without hope and without God in the world. Everybody say, but. But when? But now. But now in Christ. Not in you, not in your decision, not in what you cut off, not in what you take off, not in what you put off, not in what you lay down, not in what you listen to, not in what you don't listen to, no matter, not in the, 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 the ink in your skin, not in the holes in your face. None of that has anything to do with salvation. Nothing. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. I was far away. But you remember, he didn't need my help. He took it out of my hands. He took it upon himself. <laughs> he wrapped himself in man's skin. Made a deal with himself to bring me in. And those of us who were far away in Christ because of the one man have been brought near <laughs> to God. Verse 14, for he is our peace. I couldn't be at peace with God. But in him I am. Because of him I am. For he is our peace who made both groups one and broken down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity that is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances that in himself he might make the two into one new man. Thus making peace. And that he might reconcile both to God. You know what that means? Not only the Jews. He took the Jews, the chosen people, and the Gentiles, and he made them one. Now there's something brand new created that's his. And it's completely, that one new man is at complete peace with God. Well, God, <laughs> get in trouble again. Listen to me. I'm not preaching against Jerusalem. I'm not preaching against the Jews. Because that's where people want to run with my next statement. God took a chosen people and made them one with the Gentiles. Now we're all one. Justified and brought near to God by the blood of Jesus. It's no more two individual. Now it's one and it's called humanity. And he wrapped himself in humanity. 
and he brought complete peace with God. Preaching from this side of the cross should look a whole lot different. But our problem with the church is we do less preaching from this side, Galen. We preach from the other side. Verse 16. That he might reconcile both to God into one body through the cross, thereby slaying the division, the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. The chosen people and those who weren't the chosen people, he preached to them both. Through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. No one, doesn't, no one does not have access to God. Verse 19, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners but are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the entire building was tightly framed together grows into a holy temple to the Lord in whom you are also being built together into the, a dwelling place of God. This is God's covenant. It's not a covenant of rules. It's a covenant of relationship. He didn't take the circumcision and say, now get circumcised. And there was a time when that was a shadow of this. I'll show it to you in a minute. Y'all, y'all good? Okay. I get it if you've got to go later. <laughs> We're going to finish this. Verse, uh, Hebrews chapter 10. I'm not that far off, I don't think. Hebrews chapter 10. I'm just preaching stuff I didn't plan on bringing out tonight. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16. Hebrews 10, verse 16. And this is the covenant that I will make. This is God talking again. Who made this covenant? This is my covenant that I make. He said, and this is the covenant that I make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their heart, not a book that they have to follow. I will put my law in their heart and, their, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these, there no longer, there is no longer an offering for sin. In other words, where there's forgiveness, no more sacrifices needed. Oh, hear that. Where there is forgiveness, no more sacrifices needed. I hope you understand the power of that. When we obey God, what happens is now we move away from sin because of our love and our appreciation for this grace outshadows our desire to continue in sin. People say, well, if you never preach against it, people won't quit it. Yeah, they will. 
when they realize, John, the love that God has for them, when I fell in love with Dee, I didn't want other women anymore because my desire for her outshadowed any other desire that I had. And the more I knew her, the farther I got away from all this other stuff. Man, if we would just teach people to fall in love with Jesus and watch how they would just quit naturally doing these things because their desires will be for him and not for these other things. But we spend so much time preaching on the other. And we have to begin to preach until we have to begin to preach until their personal desires are outweighed by their love for him. He initiated this covenant. He brought us into this covenant. And this one's going to get me in trouble tonight too. He determines who's included. The church does not get to determine who's included in a covenant that they had no hand in making. <laughs> We've went around telling everybody who's in and who's out. We walked around telling, there's no way you can keep doing the things you're doing and still be in. You don't get to make that call. This ain't your covenant. Now the word talks about sin. I'm not saying we don't sin. I'm going to get there. I'm not saying we don't run away from sin. But when we begin to draw closer to him, that these desires begin to fade away. Our problem is we expect babies to run like adults. And when they don't, we get mad and we tell them, you're not really in or you wouldn't still be doing that. Well, guess what? You're not really in or you wouldn't still be gossiping. You still wouldn't be angry. You still wouldn't be doing all the stuff you've been doing either. This thing goes both ways. We didn't make this covenant. He did. And he gets to determine who's in. Genesis chapter 17. Well, well. Genesis 17, verse 10. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of a covenant between me and you. Now, I want you to remember what we just read. That the, uncir the circumcised were now looking down on the uncircumcised because they never moved past this. <laughs> They're still looking from in front of the cross and not behind the covenant. Uh. And every male throughout every generation that is eight days old shall be circumcised. Now here, get this. Those, remember a minute ago, those who were circumcised were saying those who weren't circumcised weren't really part of it. They were trying to bring back the law into a covenant. Sounds a lot like churches today, don't it? We're still trying to bring back the law. You're not living like I am. You're not living like me, so you can't be a part. 
But look what he says here. This is a shadow of the scriptures we just read about God bringing both parties into one. Every male throughout every generation that is eight days old shall be circumcised, whether born in your household or bought with money. Whether they are your direct descendants or they're slaves. Whether they're of this house or whether they're of that house, they'll all be a part of my covenant. This is a direct shadow of all the scriptures we just read. <laughs> he said, whether they're descendants, you bought them with money. From a foreigner who is not your descendant. He who is born in your house and he who is bought with money must be circumcised. My covenant shall be in your flesh as an everlasting covenant. But what did God say after the cross? The covenant was made on the cross through the blood of one and have become houses of now. It didn't matter whether they were originally part of the house or they came from outside the house. He brought them both in. We don't get the choice of saying who's in and who's aren't, who ain't. Well, what if they just keep sinning? What if they just keep sinning? Well, what if you just keep sinning? Let's not act like we're perfect here. Y'all okay? <laughs> For far too long, the church thought it had the answer to who was in and who wasn't. When we didn't initiate the covenant, we didn't have anything to offer in this covenant. So we don't get to set the rules. John chapter 3. Why did you have to bring up controversial statements before service, Sandy? <laughs> you brought up all this controversial stuff and got me saying this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> John chapter 3, we all know this one. For God so loved the world. Well, God hates. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish. What's the hardest thing they have to do to walk in this salvation? Believe. Say yes. It's the hardest thing. It's the hardest it is. But what if they still do the same things they've been doing? We'll get there. We've got to teach them to love him more than they love those things. And when their love for him grows, I'm telling you, I've seen it too many times. People start, well, I'm not doing that anymore. You know why? Because he's your desire now. He's the desire. This is the purpose of the covenant. Verse 17. Should not perish but everlasting life. Verse 17. You ready? Church, listen to this one. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. So guess what? It's not your job either. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Yeah, but sin is sin and we need to talk about sin. Yeah. And we will. When we've laid up an abundance amount of grace. And we've shown them that grace overtakes their sins. And that for all the sin they can do, there's more grace that covers it. 
For God sent his, not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Might be. Yes. That's all it takes. Yes. But they don't change immediately. Neither did you. You just forgot it. That's the problem. Is we've, we've been in this way for so long. No, let's rephrase that. We've not been in the way. We are in the way. We have been in the way so long that we've forgotten what it was like to start. And so when they fall and they fail and their lives don't immediately change, we huff and we puff and we tell them who's in and we tell them who's not like we had anything to do with it anyhow. Well, you're just too soft on sin. No, it's really not. I'm not. I'm just really big on grace. Because where sin abounds, grace does much more. Excessively abounds. Verse 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. Yeah, but they're still doing it. He who believes in him is not condemned, but they're still doing it. I know. We're going to take time. We're going to walk them out, but you can't change those words. Whether you want to change those words or not, it's his covenant, not mine. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed. That's the only reason. That's the only reason. Because they haven't believed. Maybe if we just introduce people to Jesus. Because he has not believed in the name of of the only begotten Son of God. How dare us read John 3.16 and not read the rest of those two verses. It didn't stop there. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. I'm almost there. It's almost time. But this is wrapping up the covenant. This is how we're wrapping it up. Is understanding this was God's covenant. He initiated it. He set the terms. He decides who's in it. Just like he told Abram, not only your children, but those who aren't your children. And just like when Paul was dealing with a situation when the circumcised were dealing with the uncircumcised, he let them know that God brought both parties together and made one man and made everybody part of the covenant. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 the Lord is not slow concerning his promise. I know we like to use those for money coming and all this other stuff. It's really talking about his return. The Lord's not slow concerning his promise. In other words, he's not, not coming back. He's not slow about his promise to come back. There's a reason why he's not. Listen to me. There is a reason why he has not come back and he's going to tell us what it is. The Lord is not slow concerning his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient with us because he does not want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. 
You know why he's not come back yet? Quit trying to guess when. Quit trying to look around and say, if it gets any worse, we're, if it gets any worse, he has to come. Well, if it keeps getting worse, grace keeps coming more. Because where sin does abound, grace, you know why? Because he's patient and he's waiting and it's not his will that any perish, but that all come to eternal life. He's waiting on purpose. Because it's his covenant. He is patient. Second Corinthians chapter five, almost there. You know what? Skip that. You all know that. That's my favorite. You can read that on your own. It's his covenant. He holds the cards. We don't get to make judgment on who's in and who's out. The call is his. Our job is to bring others to the knowledge. I want to talk about really quickly, just for a very few minutes, and I'm talking two or three here, on how we respond to this covenant. Just now... In in 2 Corinthians 5, he makes the statement that God was in Christ. So God didn't leave Christ on the cross. He was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. King James Version says that he is not imputing man's sins against them. That word imputing means he's not holding man's sins against them. He's not counting man's sins against them. That's what the word imputing means. But just because he is not counting man's sins, we cannot mistake his tolerance for acceptance. Because he is patient with us and kind with us doesn't mean that he accepts the sin in our life. Are you cool? In his covenant... He brings us in in love, but he leads us out in victory. (laughs) And our love response should be to walk away from anything that hinders the growth of this relationship. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1. I got three scriptures if you can give me that time. Because I think we have to, here's the balance. Okay? Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1. Therefore, since we are compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses, since heaven's watching, let us lay aside every weight and the sin. There's a difference between weight and sin. Weight is something that's slowing you down in your growth for Christ. What is that? That's different for everybody. It's different for everybody. Everybody has a weight that slows down their growth for Christ. It's our job to get rid of that weight. He says, so let us lay aside every weight and sin. So not only are there things that aren't necessarily sin that slows us down, then there's sin. And it is our response to this covenant that makes me begin to draw and lay those things away. He said, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. 
So what is your weight that's slowing you down? What is your sin that's slowing you down? The only reason we still carry these things is because we have not gone that step closer. 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm right there, so just hang tight. 1 Peter chapter 4. Shake your head or do something when you're there. Good enough. Verse 1. Therefore, since Christ has suffered, that word suffered means he died. Since Christ has suffered for us in the flesh. So guess what? You don't have to suffer anymore. Since Christ has suffered, died for us in the flesh. Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. If he was willing to die in the flesh, we have to be willing to die from the things that's lay holding us back. The weights and the sin. We have to have the same mindset that we're willing to lay anything aside. He said, let us have the same mind. So what's the same mind? For who has suffered, again, who is dying to the flesh, has ceased from sin. Well, then why do we still sin? Because we haven't let our flesh die. We still care. Well, it's dead. Christ killed it on the cross. But we dig it up. And we treat it. It's called a what? Zombie nature. It's dead. But man, we bring it up and bring it back to life. And we walk around with it. We've not let this thing die. Therefore, it continues to draw us in sin. Verse uh, 2. So that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh serving human desires. This is where God wants us. Quit spending your time living in the flesh serving human desires, but serve the will of God. We're not soft on this stuff. We're just huge on grace. And, I believe, and, and, and once I get someone to love God this way, I can tell them now, God doesn't want you serving your human desires anymore. He calls you into something deeper. Verse 3, for in earlier times of our lives, it may have sufficed us to do what the Gentiles like to do when we walked in immorality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, debauchery, and abominable ideologies, idolatries. They are surprised that you don't join them in the same excess of wild living. And so they speak evil of you. See, when we come into this side of this covenant, all of a sudden they realize, I'm not joining them in that anymore. Because I've been called. He called me in, but he led me out. <laughs> and I can now be free of my flesh desires. Last one, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Last one. Galatians 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ freed us. Just for the sake of you being free. Christ freed us. Look what he tells us to do. Stand fast, therefore, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. You've been set free, but don't allow yourself to get entangled 
with that thing which held you bond before. The economy of God's covenant is characterized by grace. It's a freedom, both from the bondage of sin and the legal restrictions of the law. When we embrace this kind of freedom, this kind of covenant understanding, it brings us into a deeper connection with him and simultaneously distances us from anything that might lead us astray. It is the covenant of salvation that he put on us. It's his covenant. And this freedom, this grace that grants us a huge opportunity to dwell in a sacred covenant, connection with God, unburdened by the haunting ghosts of condemnation. And this is God's covenant. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for who you are and what you are in our life. Father, let us understand and walk in this. Let us get it. Let it change us. Let us remember we had nothing to do with this, so we don't get to set the rules. And Father, today, let your grace draw us farther and farther away from the things that hinders us as we willingly lay them down in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.